You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Welcome to the Useless Information Podcast, my collection of fascinating true stories from the flip side history. My name is Steve Silverman, and today's story is titled Midnapore's Wolf Children. But before we do that, let's start with today's question of the day. And for today's question of the day, I thought I'd ask you about classic television shows, in particular the original Hawaii Five-0, which was broadcast on the CBS network from 1968 to 1980. Its theme song was one of the most memorable ever written, and I think I have an old 45 of it somewhere. Now, the show is back on the air, as I'm sure you're aware, but I personally find it lacking the appeal of the original series. I just don't know why. But my question for you has to do with the name. When the series was first proposed, it was not called Hawaii Five-O. So what was originally proposed? And here are your five choices in alphabetical order. Was it one, Bookum Dano, two, Diamond Head, three, Hawaiian Heat, four, McGarrett, or five, The Man? Again, what name was originally proposed for the Hawaii Five-O television series? Was it one, Bookum Dano? Uh, two, Diamond Head. Three, Hawaiian Heat. Four, McGarrett. Or five, The Man. And as always, I will let you know the answer at the end of this podcast. And now for today's story that I've titled Midnapore's Wolf Children. And today's story has to do with feral children. You know, the ones that were supposedly raised without any human interaction at all. In particular, I'm going to discuss the most documented case of wild children ever. That's the story of Amala and Kamala of Midnapore, India in the 1920s. And the story begins in September of 1920, where we find Reverend Joseph Singh, that's S-I-N-G-H. So Reverend Singh is out on a missionary tour slash hunting trip in the jungles of India. And he is told by a group of herdsmen about some ghosts that they had seen nearby. These supposed ghostly figures had the body of a human and the head of a beast. So they begged Reverend Singh to perform an exorcism on the spot where they had seen the ghost. Now this spot just happened to be an oversized white anthill that stood between 10 and 12 feet high. That's about 3 to 3.5 meters. We just don't have things like that in the United States. Now in an effort not to scare away whatever it was that was terrorizing the herdsmen, A shooting platform was built in a tree, allowing clear view of the mound. And on October 17, 1920, the men started digging out the mound in an effort to see what had crawled inside. 
and almost immediately several wolves came running out, but one lunged at the hunters and was shot dead on the spot. Now, this was assumed to be the mother of the cubs that was still inside the anthill. And inside, they found two cubs and two ghosts. But of course, these were not ghosts at all. What they found were two young girls, possibly three and six years of age, covered in dust and mud with scars and scratches all over their bodies. If you're like me, you're probably wondering, why didn't the mother wolf just eat the children? And there have been several theories uh, put forward to you know, to kind of explain this. Uh, the first one is that possibly the children were abandoned by their real parents and then picked up by the mother wolf, and for some reason she didn't eat them. Another possibility is that the mother could have lost her cubs and then stolen the children as a replacement for her own. Or a third possibility is that she could have stolen the babies for food and then somehow become confused with the scent of her own cubs. How they survived is really not that critical to the story, but Reverend Singh now had a bigger problem. He had to get the girls out of the forest and back to his home. So he obtained a bamboo cage and arranged to have the children transported to his orphanage, which was located in, of course, Midnaport, India. Now, this orphanage was simply called The Home. That was its title, The Home. And the girls looked very, very different in appearance and didn't appear to be sisters. Although, you know, that doesn't mean anything. My brother and I don't look anything like each other. He's got blonde hair and blue eyes. I got brown hair and brown eyes and very different features. Anyway, that's not that important. Now, Reverend Singh estimated there was a two to three year age difference between the girls. The older one was named Kamala, which means lotus, you know, the pond plant. And the younger one was named Amala, which uh, he said meant bright yellow flower. Now, I did look that up, and uh, uh, Kamala does mean lotus, but Amala supposedly means hope. Uh, it's of Hindi origin. Now, neither child could stand or walk on two feet. They crawled around on all four limbs with incredible agility. They really could move around quickly on all four uh, limbs. And to keep from escaping, uh, Reverend Singh had to place a large cage in his office. As a whole, the girls were observed to have many animalistic behaviors. For example, they avoided the light of day and moved around mostly at night. They avoided contact with others. They couldn't speak. They urinated and defecated just, you know, just about anywhere. They preferred raw meat overcooked and was claimed that they panted like dogs with their tongue out. Now, the plan was gradually to bring the girls back to being ordinary people. In other words, to restore their human faculties. But it was really, really slow going. By three months' time, virtually no change had occurred in the girls' behavior. And their health didn't improve much either. Then, on September 4, 1921, Amala, the younger girl, fell ill. And then a couple of days later, so did Kamala. So they were taken to a physician and were prescribed a number of medicines, probably mostly ineffective, plus some sulfur for worms. Unfortunately, Amala died a few weeks later on September 21st, and Kamala slowly recovered. Now, Reverend Singh had tried to avoid any publicity up to that point, but the doctor had been told about their rescue, and he just couldn't keep his mouth shut. So the story of their rescue became headline news, and people came from all around to see the surviving girl. Singh refused to charge admission to see Kamala, but, you know, he was certainly willing to accept gifts and donations for the continued operation of his orphanage. 
time moved on, but little progress was made in Kamala's abilities. She stood for the first time on June 23, 1923. That's nearly three years after her rescue. And she was still unable to lift a bowl or a glass of milk. And by the following February, her total vocabulary was 11 words. Three years later, in 1926, that had increased to about 30 words. And while their efforts were well-intentioned, the people at the orphanage were not doctors, they weren't scientists, and they resorted to some very, very unusual methods. For example, someone from Bombay suggested that they hang Kamala upside down, and that was to increase her brain power. So Mr. and Mrs. Singh did exactly that. They put a peg in the wall, they hung a noose from it, and they put her legs into the noose each day. Initial sessions started at 2 minutes per day, and they gradually increased that to 15 minutes per day. Now, I know you're going to be shocked to hear this, but it didn't work. Sadly, Kamala died on November 13th of 1929. Assuming that she was brought to the orphanage at age 6, she would have been about 15 years of age. Kamala had been ill for months, and about with typhoid fever a couple of months prior didn't help, and of course she passed away. Then, two years later, Reverend Singh was forced into retirement. That's in December of 1931. And unfortunately, he had an incredibly small pension. It just wasn't enough to cover the cost of operating the orphanage. So Bishop Walsh, one of Singh's superiors, put pressure on the retired minister to finally publish his work with the two wolf children. The manuscript was completed by the end of 1935, but it was poorly written and rejected by both the European scientists and the publishing houses. It was basically too general for a scientific paper, yet too boring and poorly told to be a bestseller. Eventually, the story ended up in the hands of U.S. anthropologist Dr. Robert Zing, what a name, and he was at the University of Denver. He expressed his desire to finally have the manuscript published, and he really, really worked to make sure that this happened. An investigative committee of scientists was established to determine the validity of Singh's claims. And from the outset, as you'd expect, there were many problems with the story. In particular, the scientists questioned Singh's claim that the children had somehow become nocturnal and that their eyes gave off a blue glare. There was also the claim that their jaw bones had undergone some sort of structural change from chewing meat off of bones. And supposedly their canine teeth were longer and more pointed than in typical humans. And of course, let's not forget the claim from earlier that the girls panted like dogs. The general explanation of all these observations was that Dr. Singh was not a trained scientist, and therefore he saw what his eyes wanted to see. Perhaps the most damaging discovery was the finding of a November 16, 1926 article in the Calcutta Statesman, which described how a tribal farmer had taken Singh to a hut to see two wild-like children in a cage. Singh described at the time how sick, how dirty, and how close to death the girls really were. The farmer recounted how the children were found and then took Singh to see the giant anthill. After that, he took the children back to his orphanage, and the story was written. Reverend Singh died on September 27th of 1941, just several months before his diary was finally published for the world to see. So now that I've told you the story, I guess the real question is, 
is it true? And there really is no way to be certain. About the only thing that we can be sure is that both Amala and Kamala really did exist, and they were orphans at the home. But were they raised by wolves? Were they crawling on all fours, eating raw meat, howling, eyes that glowed in the dark? These all seem very unlikely, and my guess is that the truth lies somewhere in the middle of Reverend Singh's story. Useless, useful, I'll leave that for you to decide. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now for a few words from our retro sponsor. And now the following quarter hour is brought to you by some very good and true friends of yours. Listen. The wise old house says you, you, you better shop and save, save at our Rexall drugstores. Why you? Yes, you. You better shop and save, save at our Rexall drugstores. That's right, friends. The next quarter hour is brought to you by the Owl Rexall Drugstores. Oh, we have some great news for you, and we have some great music, too, lined up for this quarter hour. We're going to hear from the modern heirs and Doris Day and Gordon Jenkins and Bing Crosby to Bingle. <laughs> oh, we've got some great ones, and some wonderful anniversary value minutes. Sample price-smashing values from Rexall's sensational 47th anniversary sale all this month at Owl Rexall Drugstores. That ad is from an archived radio show that has been titled The Owl Rexall Show Among Collectors. But it's really just a portion of airtime that was sponsored by Owl Rexall. Uh, This particular broadcast was made on February 14th of 1950. The show is basically one long Rexall ad with songs spread out between each Rexall promotion. And a little background on the company, Rexall Drug began in 1902, and that's when a traveling drug salesman named Louis Liggett conceived of the idea of a cooperative association of druggists to manufacture their own products. Forty Boston pharmacies initially joined the United Drug Stores Cooperative, and they sold their Rexall brand products exclusively. Early ads claimed that the brand was named Rexall because Rex meant king, so Rexall simply meant king of all. Now, I'm not really sure that I buy that origin of the name. I mean, most drugstores say RX, Rex, uh, outside them. Uh, But it really doesn't matter. In 1928, a holding company that was simply called Drug Incorporated was formed to acquire United Drug and Sterling Drug Companies under one name. In regards to Owl Drug, that was started back in 1892 with a store at 1128 Market Street in San Francisco, California, just in case you want to go visit. The chain branched out across the West Coast and the Midwest before being acquired by Drug Incorporated in January of 1930. Now, at the time of the merger, Owl operated 104 stores. That's a pretty big chain. Uh, But Drug Incorporated, believe it or not, had 10,000 Rexall drugstores, 700 Liggett's drugs that was named after the company founder, of course, and another 820 Boots Pure drugstores in England. 
Now, the Boots was sold off uh, just three years later. Rexall, uh, as most people probably notice, has disappeared from the drugstore market here in the United States, although supposedly you can still find them in Canada, although I have not gone up there to check. Uh, Rexall lost out to the competition and was divested back in 1977. Independent franchisees were allowed to keep the Rexall name, which is why they can still be spotted around the U.S. in some small towns. And now for a few totally useless, yet totally true tidbits from history. It's time for what I like to call News of the Weird Past. And our first tidbit dates back to March 1st of 1941, which reported that a San Francisco murder trial was interrupted by one of those very annoying singing telegrams of all things. Superior Court Clerk Maurice Cronin was in the process of asking a potential juror, quote, would you still be willing to inflict the death penalty? And that's when a messenger boy popped his head through the door and started singing, Happy birthday, dear Cronin, happy birthday to you. Superior Court Judge Steiger was out of the courtroom at that moment, and by the time he returned, the messenger boy, as you'd expect, was long gone. Our next tidbit is dated November 28, 1955. It was reported that 19-year-old Vernon Manis was on his way back from a date with his gal when he noticed that the spotlight on his car was missing. So he walked around the car and he saw no other damage. Then it hit him. It wasn't his car at all and he called the police. But it turns out the police already had a stolen car report for the same car and that was from a guy that lived near Manis's girlfriend. It turns out that both cars were the same make, same model, and same color. And even more amazingly, Manus's key fit both ignitions, so he just simply drove off in the wrong one. And our last story is dated March 19th of 1961, which reported that 20-year-old Albert Torres of Detroit, Michigan, was arrested at the door of a Sunday school in possession of burglar tools. That was basically just a hammer and a screwdriver. That's all he had with him. It seems that someone had called in a tip to the police to let them know that the school was being broken into. What was really shocking is that the caller turned out to be Albert Torres himself. It turns out that he'd recently married and he just needed a quiet night away from his wife. So he told his wife that she needed to stop her nagging and if she didn't, he threatened to call the police to get himself arrested so that he could spend a quiet night in jail. Now somehow I just don't think that he got the peace and quiet that he had hoped for. theme song didn't annoy you too much, but it's obviously time for the answer to today's question of the day. And I had asked what name was originally proposed for the Hawaii Five-O television series, and I gave you five choices. Was it one, Bookum Dano, uh, two, Diamond Head, three, Hawaiian Heat, four, McGarrett, or five, The Man? And I hope you chose the last one, that is, The Man. That really was the working title for the series. Now, the show is named Hawaii Five-O simply because Hawaii is the 50th state here in the United States. 
The original lead in the series was offered to the late actor Richard Boone, but he turned them down so Gregory Peck and Robert Brown were considered instead. But ultimately, as all fans of the show know, the role went to Jack Lord, who was hired on a Wednesday, flown to Hawaii on a Friday, and he was standing in front of the cameras on a Monday. Now, I honestly can't imagine the show with anyone else as Steve McGarrett, and that's maybe why I don't care much uh, for the new version of the show. As for the theme song, which is one of the most famous theme songs of all time, uh, it was recorded by The Ventures, and I should tell you that's not the version you heard uh, just a few minutes ago. The Ventures are probably the most popular rock instrumental group of all time. The song reached number four on Billboard's Hot 100 in 1969. They had 17 top 40 albums, and after falling off the U.S. charts in 1972, they continue to sell abroad. Now, I have to tell you, I was shocked to find out that they have sold over 40 million albums in Japan alone. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's story on Midnapore's Wolf Children, as well as our question of the day on Hawaii Five O. Bookum Dano. Just love saying that. Uh, anyway, uh, listening to our retro sponsor, Owl Rexall Drugs, and the news of the weird past tidbits, which included the singing telegram in court, the guy who had the wrong stolen car, and that other guy, my favorite, who sought a peaceful night in jail away from his wife. If you'd like to read more true stories just like these, please be sure to get a copy of one of my books. They are Einstein's Refrigerator and Lindbergh's Artificial Heart. And I was just on Amazon and noticed that Lindbergh's Artificial Heart is finally available in a digital format. Of course, both books are written by me, Steve Silverman, and they're available from your local bookseller online and from your local library. Additional resources, including scans of some of the original research documents, additional comments on the podcast, and of course, related links can be found on my Facebook page, uh, and that is www.facebook.com slash uselessinformationpodcast. That's uselessinformationpodcast. It's all one word. And if for some reason you'd like to contact me, simply drop me an email at useless at steve.silverman.name. That's useless at steve.silverman.name. Or you can visit my website at uselessinformation.org for a link. Uh, the Facebook page also has a link so you can contact me. Now, before I bring this podcast to a close, I thought I'd share with you one of the emails that I received last week. And oddly, I just woke up that morning, turned on the computer, and this message popped up. And I was planning on recording this podcast. And I really had to wait a couple of days to decide whether or not I wanted to keep doing this. Because I do get one or two insulting messages a month. But this one really annoyed me. I don't know why. Uh, and it also insults you, the listener. So I thought I'd share it with you. Here we go. I listened to just one of your podcasts. It is the podcast what reality TV is to broadcast programming, totally inane, lascivious, and catering to the 13 to 25 demographic with only half their brain fully developed. In other words, it will probably be a huge success as our country is taken over by proselytizing evangelists, morons, and Twitter junkies with 30-second attention spans. I literally found it to be without any socially redeeming value. I guess making money is your only motivation, huh? I guess you can aspire to be as big an a**hole as Howard Stern is someday. Keep up the good work. You're on your way. The one bright spot is you really chose an appropriate name. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. 
And with Dutch Boy's easy opening, smooth pouring container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. You're probably wondering, what did I write in response? And the answer is nothing. It wasn't worth the time of day. And my wife was furious about this. She was going to write something, but I wouldn't let her. Because I think that if you're not willing to say something to somebody's face directly, you shouldn't write that either. Because there are people on the other end of these messages, and you have to be aware of that. You know, this is just a recorded medium. If you don't like the podcast, just move on. And I'm sure there are many people that have done so. If you don't like a TV show, you just change the channel. That's the beauty of the mass media. Anyway, I hope I didn't annoy you too much with that message. Uh, I will be doing more podcasts in the future. Uh, and I thank you for listening, and I hope you tune in the next time. Bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.